0: Welcome to a family devoted podcast where we think critically, deserve biblically, and glorify God in all we do. We are your hosts, Kimberly. And Steven. And we are so glad you are joining us here today for episode three. But before we get into it, let's talk about the weather. How's the weather where you live? Right now for us, it's, warming. <laughs> it's May and it's still sixty degrees outside. chilly, cold. And lots of rain with no end in sight on most days. And
1: we've had the heater on for two days or two nights, rather. In May. In May. And in May. It's crazy. The polarized caps are melting.
0: They are melting. Last year at this time, we were already outside (laughs) doing yard work.
1: Setting up our pool. Setting up
0: the pool. And this year... We have no idea when we're going to get to go in the pool. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But the kids are ready to go outside and play more. Like one day a week, maybe, they get to go play outside. Because it's either raining outside, or it's windy, or it's just too cold. And it's May! And let's just get right into this episode.
1: What are we talking about today?
0: Today, we are going to talk about... Mr. Dr. Vody T. Bauckham Jr. And his new book. Fault Lines. And the subtitle of it is The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. We were privileged to be on his launch team to help get the word out about this book. That's right. I even
1: wrote a review. Yeah,
0: We will link that review in the show notes for you to check out. And this is such a hot topic in the church and the Four world. a too late. A little too late, <clears throat> um, but it's been looming, as his subtitle says. Um, but we're just going to kind of walk through a few things inside of this book that we wanted to address and speak about and expose that people really need to know about. And I highly recommend that you go and purchase this book yesterday. <laughs> like you need to get it; it's great and
1: it's very timely. And very uh, timely. Get get a copy for yourself and your pastor. Yes. Most definitely get it for your pastor, your elder board. Um, maybe walk through it with a small group, right? Um, or maybe a Bible study, a Wednesday night Bible study or something. Because this stuff is very, very relevant. Um, unfortunately, in today's culture and is becoming ever more so relevant within evangelical circles.
0: Right. Definitely. So we just want to get the word and help spread the word out about this book because it's important for the church and to help preserve the church so that it is not washed away by this Anti-God nonsense.
1: It's important for your kids, too, because um, unless you're homeschooling them and you know exactly what's in your curriculum, you are guaranteed that this is being taught in our schools, even Christian schools. Even
0: Christian schools. This
1: is being taught. Um, It is pervasive. It is a cancer on our culture. And uh, the worldview that it springs from, we'll delve into here a little bit, is wicked to the core. Yes. And not only is it, um, vain philosophy isn't empty of the seats, but it is anti-Christ. Yes. Um, the philosophies of this streams out of, we'll get into that.
0: And it's a doctrine of Satan, really, to focus on man and exclude God in every way possible. So, Stephen's gonna go ahead and get started, and let's chat.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, well, I'm gonna begin in the preface, um... Uh, as I said, I actually wrote a review on this that we'll link to. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been talking about this for a while now. Um, gosh, going back to what 2012 when I wrote that paper on Marxism, yeah, and communism. So yeah, I've been talking about this for a while, um, warning, trying to warn people about it, and uh, fell on deaf ears for the most part until several years ago, with the whole MLK 50. Thing happened with uh, together for the gospel and the gospel coalition, and the ERLC of the Southern Baptist <laughs> <laughs> Convention. I think they're the ones who helped put that that whole shindig on. <clears throat> but that's when people started taking off their masks uh, and, and really coming out of the closet as cultural Marxists, if you will. So I do like how uh, Dr. Botham, Doctor Bachman shed some lights where it definitely needs to be shed. I do wish he would have gone into some more of the history of critical theory uh, in particular is is pretty much what the whole social justice movement stems from. Um, And in the book he calls it critical social justice. He actually gets that from uh, Dr. James Lindsay, uh, who is not a Christian, but he is one of the guys helping to expose some of the stuff he works within academia. And he saw this coming too. Within the circle season, I uh, think he's a, math, a mathematician. Uh, but yeah, he's been warning about warning about this stuff too for for several years, and he he termed a, the coin of the term critical social justice. So I do wish that he would have gone into a little bit more of the history of it. Um, for instance, he could have done an entire chapter on the philosophies and worldviews that stem uh, that critical theory stems from. Um, as I mentioned earlier, these things are antithetical to the gospel. They are fundamentally opposed to Christ and to the Christian worldview. To me, this is important because it exposes the dangers in associating uh, the vain philosophies and empty deceits that Paul warns about in Colossians 2.8. So some of the men that these theories derive from, it's Marx, Marxist uh, in its origins. Uh, it could be traced back to conflict theory that was developed by Karl Marx and uh, his co-author of the Communist Manifesto, Frederick Engels. Um, they actually developed their philosophy. They took some Rousseauian philosophies from the, the Enlightenment, and they developed from um, Hegel, his dialectical theory. And wh- whereas Marxism focuses more on the... Economic aspects of things. Um, a Marxist, an Italian Marxist by the name of Antonio Gramsci, actually developed critical theory because he he didn't believe that Marxism could take the West over uh, because our institutions were too Christianized. Uh, so he developed what he called critical theory or cultural Marxism. And his you know he's famous for writing his his uh, prison papers when he was arrested in fascist Italy. Uh, He wrote kind of a dossier of how he believed Marxism could could conquer the West. And he wrote his prison papers and he wrote in there the only way that that Marxism could conquer the West would be a long march through the West's institutions. Uh, And they have succeeded, to say the least. Uh, Also, this theory developed from there to Frankfurt, Germany, uh, around the turn of the century. Uh, there was a group of um, educators, philosophers, known as the Frankfurt School. Um, some of these guys were Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, Eric Fromm, Herbert Marcuse, uh, George Lucas, and Walter Benjamin. And they d- they took Gramsci's critical theory and Marx and Engels' conflict theory, and they kind of combined them into the social sciences to address the structural issues that were causing inequity during their day. Right. And these guys, they were all in Nazi Germany or they were in Germany as the Nazi party was rising. And being Jews and being communists, they fled Nazi Germany. And most of them made their way to the United States. Um, And they became professors and teachers in our schools, mostly uh, Columbia University. Right. They, so they developed this critical theory even more with the freedom that we have here in the United States. And they, they've they used it to subvert our freedoms using Gramsci's long march through the institutions. Um, so again, uh, Vody does talk about this in the book. He just doesn't go into enough detail, in my opinion. I think he, he could have done an entire chapter talking about this stuff because you could easily just throw Marxism out there and people
0: it could be broad.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's broad. And most people just don't take it seriously, honestly, because they're like, Oh, well, you know, Marxism fell with the Berlin wall. So they, they just don't take the threat seriously. And especially in the church um, when we, we, we tend to lump Marxism with the, the Democrat party. And so people get political and you know, all oh, you're just saying that because you're a Republican and this, that, and the other. And it, it's, Way broader than that. Way broader than that. In fact, let me read a, a few quotes. Uh, Do you have anything to say about that? Well,
0: we actually had a Christian professor say that Marxism fell with the Berlin Wall <laughs> yes, back in 2012, 2012. Yep,
1: When I, wrote, I had, a, I had to write I- a paper. Um, we had to write a paper on cults. And yeah. I, I chose communism as a cult. And she was like, communism's not a cult. That fell with the Berlin Wall.
0: Yeah, she is not yeah. educated. I would, I would love to see her <laughs> face qualified.
1: today. I would love to see her face today. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so here's a, here's a quote from, from Karl Marx. He was actually um, a poet. He wrote a lot of poetry. Again, it's, it's important to note that the men who, who came up with these philosophies, where these critical social justicians get their philosophy from, they are anti-God, anti-religion, and they really wanted to see Christianity in specifically overthrown. Uh, so Marx actually wrote in one of his poems called The Invocation of One in Despair, he says, I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. I shall build my throne high overhead. Cold tremendous shall be its summit. Uh, what does that sound like? In another one of his poems, He says, then I will be able to walk triumphantly like a God through the ruins of their kingdom. Every word of mine is fire and action. My breast is equal to that of the creator.
0: Sounds like Satan.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Very similar to the words that we find in Isaiah 14 uh, of Lucifer's prideful boast. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's Karl Marx. Uh, he actually also wrote uh, in a a uh, play or a poem that was in a, used in the play. Uh, here we go again. It says, quote, the hellish vapors rise and fill brain till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. See this sword? The prince of darkness sold it to me. For he beats the time and gives the signs even more boldly, I play the dance of death.
0: Yeah. Sounds like a
1: guy we should be getting our philosophies from in the church, doesn't yeah.
0: it? Yeah. It's terrible.
1: Yeah. Um, I would suggest if you want to read more on Karl Marx and his uh, dabbling in the occult, um, specifically Luciferianism. Um, actually, Marx's son-in-law was a Satanist. And uh, Richard Warmbrand wrote a book. He's same about that wrote Torture for Christ. Um, He was a prisoner in communist Russia under the USSR, whether or not he was Russian or not. But he wrote a book called Marx and Satan, really kind of delves into some of the history of Marx and um, his occult ties. There's also a fairly new book by Paul Kingor called The Devil and Karl Marx. Um, So I would definitely suggest getting those books, see the satanic roots.
0: And we'll link to those so you can. Right. Have access to
1: those? Uh, his co author of the Communist Manifesto was Frederick Engels. Now, a lot of people don't know a lot about Engels uh, because most of the time he is referred to as Marxism. But whereas Marx was obsessed with the economic side, Engels was more obsessed with the oppressor side as far as social classes. um so he was he was heavily involved in uh, early feminism, um, the, the deconstruction of the nuclear family, uh, these sorts of things, homosexuality, and he actually wrote, "Communism abolishes eternal truths; it abolishes all religions and all morality, which would make everything permissible." It was very hedonistic. Uh, let's see, he also wrote. The next world war will make whole uh, reactionary peoples disappear from the face of the earth. This, too, is progress. So he's talking about a world war wiping out whole populations of people. And he's saying this is progress. Uh, He actually wrote, obviously, this cannot be fulfilled without the crushing of some delicate national flowers. But without violence and without pitilessness, nothing can be obtained in history. And in this quote, he has... Uh, specifically about the Christian worldview, he says, we too attack the hypocrisy of the present Christian state of the world. The struggle against it, our liberation from it, and the liberation from the world are ultimately our sole occupation. So he says literally there, our sole occupation is the destruction of the Christian world and the Christian state.
0: And that's disturbing that. Many people in the church support this.
1: Well, yeah, they and support the, philosophies, the philosophy. Whether, whether or not they know, that's right. what Engels worldview.
0: Right. And in my opinion, they should do their own due diligence before they start putting their name on something that they, have nothing, they know nothing about.
1: Right. And this, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it because Vodi talks about it in his book, but um, Resolution 9, it was passed in the SBC a couple of years ago. Um, where they can use critical theory as a analytical tool through which to view scriptures. Uh, I I just don't see, (laughs) I don't see how any Christian, especially a seminary professor like Curtis Woods can put their name on, on that resolution. Yeah. It's, it's demonic. Uh, Moving on to Antonio Gramsci. Again, this was the Italian philosopher who came up with the long march through the institutions and came up with critical theory specifically. Uh, He says, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. Repeat that. Socialism is precisely the religion that must overthrow Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. And
0: we see that being played out right now before our eyes.
1: Yeah, we've, we've been seeing that for decades as far as the universities and the schools and the media. But the churches, notice he says the churches. Um, he wants to overwhelm and overthrow Christianity. Again, that's that's Antonio Gramsci, the guy who created critical theory. Yet Curtis Wood says critical theory should be used as an analytical tool. In the church, in seminaries, Antonio Gramsci also said, one must speak for a struggle for a new culture. That is a new moral life that cannot be intimately connected to a new in, uh, in, intuition of that until it becomes a new way of feeling and seeing reality. So as you can see, a deeper look into the philosophies where these that these things stem from. Um, just on its face it should be it should be obvious to any biblically minded person these things are unbiblical yeah they're anti-god and they're antithetical to the gospel uh, so again this is an awesome book I just wanted to point that out I, I think that um, as much as I love Bodhi uh, he could have gone a little bit more into the history of these people specifically the men who created these because uh, wicked 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 people
0: Wicked and evil, and should be avoided, them and their philosophies, Right, should be avoided at all costs.
1: Yeah. Do you have anything on the preface?
0: Well, I, I do agree. Um, while it was great, it could have gone more in detail about those things, especially for someone who's new to these ideologies. Um, it's important to know the history and the, the genesis of, of the origins and the ide- ideology.
1: Right. Should we move on to defining our terms? Let's do it. All right. Some people may not know what critical theory is um, specifically, even though it's here it's all over the place now. Uh, critical theory is defined by the New Discourses Encyclopedia as the originally, uh, it was originally created by Antonio Gramsci and modified and applied to the social sciences at the Frankfurt School to address structural issues causing inequity. We've already discussed that. Uh, but notice this says inequity, not equality.
0: Big difference.
1: Big difference. A lot of people don't realize what the difference is between uh, equity and equality. You notice that during this, the uh, civil rights movement, it was all about equal opportunity under the law. They wanted equality. Equality is a good thing. Equality is what we should strive for. But notice how in the last couple of years, they've shifted their language. from They've shifted away from equality, and now they're talking about equity. We want equity. Well, equality means equal opportunity. Equity is equal outcomes. So whereas equality, you could say, I'm going to give both these individuals a chance to apply for this job, get the job, uh, or not get the job based on their merit. Equity says, no, you have X amount of people that are this color, X amount of people that are this color, X amount of people that are this gender, and X amount of people that are that gender. You have to have Equity of outcomes, Um, and that is quite frankly impossible. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's just it's um, it's bad news. Uh, So, what does critical theory mean? And going a little bit deeper, the the term "critical," again, this is from the New Discourses Encyclopedia. The term "critical" is in, in the social sciences, geared towards identifying and exposing problems in order to facilitate or foment. Revolutionary political change. So that's what the term critical means. Now, theory uh, actually has two meanings. It can be treated as a proper noun, but the, but the way these people use it is, is more of a catch all, and they use it uh, in this meaning it's the canon or source of further revelation of canon for critical social justice. So, theory is at the heart of the worldview that defines critical social justice. Notice it says the canon.
0: Yeah, keep that term the in canon. the forefront. Is there anything gonna, else?
1: Is there anything else that's that's called the canon yeah. that most people know about?
0: Scripture. Yeah, we call it scripture. We're going to go more in detail about that in a little bit, but remember that keep that in the forefront. All
1: right. And so throughout the book, uh, vodi actually recurs, refers to critical theory uh, or critical race theory, which is the one you're hearing mostly about today, as critical social justice. Um, again, you got that from uh, James Lindsay, uh, but I. You know, I I prefer to call it critical theory rather than just critical race theory. Um,
0: so why is that?
1: The critical race theory is simply a branch of the tree. Um, my concern is that a lot of Christians and ministries right now are so focused on the critical race aspect of critical theory that they, they, they don't realize. And, and I understand why, because that's the primary manifestation of of this that's being applied right now, especially in the church. Um, but mark my words, that's not that's the tip of the iceberg. They're not going to stop there. Um, they'll eventually move from critical race theory to critical gender theory, critical feminist theory, queer theory. Uh, we're already seeing the gender theory stuff with the the complementarian egalitarian back and forth. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to see the critical queer theory stuff with the revoice conference and the uh, living loud nonsense that Sam Albury pushing. This is the, it, well, it's not going to stop here. I'll just put it that way. It's not going to stop here. So I, I, I prefer just to call it critical theory um, and not focus so much on the race because again, that's just a, a branch of the philosophy itself. Right.
0: I think it's, uh, as far as the critical Theory is concerned. We should. We should. O- we should not only just know the definition of it, but we should also be able to um, defend the biblical worldview um, in opposition to the critical theory. Oh, so sh- Stephen just went through, you know, the history and the origins of it, um, and when we said the canon. You know, you have to be able to refute that and say no this is not a canon that we stand on we stand on the scripture sola scriptura yeah so it's very important
1: yeah and actually does warn in the book that critical theory is not just an analytical tool uh he actually says quote um you know someone suggests it's critic uh, analytical tool but he says quote it's it's more of a philosophy and a world view right Uh, And I couldn't agree more with Brody's statement on on that. Uh, He also goes on to say that this is a new religion or a cult. And, you know, uh, uh, he's not too far off because, as we saw, Antonio Gramsci himself said that this is the religion that would uh, overthrow Christianity.
0: And it is a religion because you can just see how fervent these people are. Yeah. About pushing their agendas. Oh, they're
1: yeah, they're zealous. Pushing their
0: ideologies, and it's religious fervor. It really is. That is what they stand their ground, and they will die for it. Um, yeah.
1: Or you will die.
0: Or you will die. (laughs) So they
1: yes,
0: (laughs) exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, Critical theory also denies objective truth, uh, according to. Oslan Sinsoy and Robin D'Angelo, uh, who are two major components of critical theory, uh, they actually say in one of their books that's that is currently being used to write educational curriculums in our schools, people. So again, um, teach this stuff to your kids because if they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear it from D'Angelo and Sensoy. Yeah. Uh, but they say in their books, they quote, it calls into question the idea. That object, objectivity is desirable or even possible. So what does that mean for the Bible, right? The Bible is our objective standards, not subjective. It is the objective truth. And they're saying critical theory calls into question the very idea of objectivity and that it's even possible.
0: Right. And, and for the biblical worldview, who is the truth? Christ. So again, you see right there that it's an anti-Christ philosophy because there's only one way, one truth, one life, and that is right. in Christ Jesus.
1: Sanctify them by their truth. Your word is truth. So using their own definition of critical theory, um, we, we see that it, it cannot align with the biblical worldview. So for the Christian, the Bible must be our standard of truth. Um, our objective standard of truth. Paragraph one Chapter one of the 1689 on the Baptist Confession states that the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience.
0: So the next thing we're going to talk about is intersectionality. And what is intersectionality? So most people are familiar with the term by now, but if not, it is all about finding and identifying all the multiple layers of perceived oppression of minorities or what is it that they suffer so yeah
1: they're perceived injustice or oppression
0: right and ephesians 2
1: let's give an example of that okay
0: yeah let's let's go through an example what intersection so i'm a
1: i am a white male heterosexual christian so i am at the very bottom of the totem pole
0: (laughs) right whereas I, I'm a
1: nobody according to according critical to theory. Critical theory. I am the oppressor right. of everyone else.
0: And for example, I am a female African American who Christian is a Christian and
1: and a heterosexual
0: and I'm a heterosexual. Yeah. So where would that put me?
1: you have you have two intersections. you're a woman. And you're black.
0: I'm a woman, and I'm black. Yeah. Doesn't matter that I'm a Christian. No, mind you.
1: No, but no—that's that, actually a strike against. That's me. a strike against. If you me. were, if you were a female, Feminist. black, lesbian, Buddhist, then you would have four points of intersection. I would
0: on. have four points. How stupid is that? This is dumb.
1: It's evil. But it's evil, it means, it's evil.
0: right? It's evil. It's but that's
1: that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to pit people against one another based on their beliefs, based on their ethnicities, based on their their gender basically. I mean, it's... falconization. It's evil. It's evil. So. It's meant to divide, not unify. Right. Which is the exact opposite of what...
0: Exactly. The
1: body of Christ is supposed to be.
0: Right, exactly. So, Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and reconciliation both of them to God in one body through the cross by which he extinguished their hostility. So Votie Botham says about this that ethnic tensions are only a problem for Christians who forget this truth. Or subordinate it to a competing ideology, whether that be on the right or on
1: the left. Right. So, you, I mean, you can see again on its face critical theory, what do you call it? Critical theory, critical race theory, social justice. Um, it is not compatible with a biblical worldview. No, it's just not. Um, it's certainly not compatible with biblical Christianity. So, I don't know. It's it's a competing worldview. It's a false gospel. It's a different religion. Uh, Again, a lot of people pushing this stuff within the church. Uh, In my opinion, they're dangerous. And, you know, according to Paul and Galatians, they should be marked and avoided. Yes. Because they are preaching a different gospel. Um, To preach this stuff, it undermines both the sufficiency of scripture as well as uh, the efficacy of Christ's finished work on the cross. Yeah. So it's to me, I, I I don't even like to call it just critical theory. This to me is another branch, uh, and this is critical gospel theory because they're looking to undermine the gospel, whether they know it or not. They're looking to undermine grace alone by faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a works based justification based on perpetual repentance of perceived justices
0: injustices well
1: yeah injustices and social activism it's 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 critical gospel theory and it is no gospel at all
0: no gospel so we're gonna go now and discuss a chapter chapter two titled a black christian
1: right yeah the first the first chapter he pretty much just gives some of his background what he went through as a kid and
0: right so a black christian do you want to start or shall i
1: Sure. Well, Vody does say that uh, he says, "quote, when black nationalism is combined with Marxism, as it often is, uh, an especially violent strain of anti-Christian sentiment forms." I would say that's true of any nationalistic or tribalistic sentiments that align with Marxism, regardless of ethnicity or nationality. Uh, you can just look at the history of the twentieth century to see that. Yeah, uh, and again, you go back to what I read from Ingalls. That's kind of the point, you know. They want, they want to uh, wipe out whole people groups. They want to see them disappear from the face, face of the earth.
0: So, there's one thing um, I actually want to rewind and go back to uh, in chapter one, where Bodhi goes through, you know, his history, his upbringing, and some of his experiences in. Uh, Making him the man who he is today. Um, but there's one thing he said on page nineteen of the book, and he pretty much talks about how he thrived in spite of his upbringing because he grew up in the ghettos of Los Angeles. he was fatherless. he had all these things that, according to critical theory that would
1: should be working against him
0: should be working against him. Right. but instead of, You know, becoming a statistic, he was able to thrive because of God's grace, his parents protecting him, his parents sacrificing for him, and his parents advocating and disciplining him, primarily his mother doing that for him. And I
1: think it's his uncle too, right? Isn't that right? He ended up moving to live with his uncle or something. Ended up
0: moving to uh, Texas, and his uncle helped rear him.
1: I mean, it's such such an awesome story, and these stories are. You know, obviously we hear the sad stories from, from all these critical race theorists and everything else, but there are so many positive stories. So many. About oppressed people who, despite their oppression, have risen by the grace of God to become right. successful, powerful people.
0: And he talked about how, you know, poor they were and, uh, you know, he was fatherless, but he overcame all that. But what I wanted to mention was, um, I can kind of relate to that because um, he was able to come able he was able to overcome all of that through his mother uh protecting him sacrificing him advocating and disciplining him and ultimately because of God's grace and for me growing up you know we were poor in Palm Springs California uh, my mother and father I had in my home uh, but through God's grace and my parents protecting me, sacrificing for me, advocating and disciplining me, my sisters and I, I have two older sisters, um, we were able to, you know, overcome the quote unquote, I guess, definition of what, you know, critical race theory, always things, oh, all, you got all these things against you, you don't have, you know, you're not raised in the best neighborhoods, you don't have money for X, Y, Z, you know, we were able to, through my parents and God's grace able to overcome that and in the black community when you talk about these things they get offended over family and personal responsibility it's such an offense such an offense but if you take responsibility of your family you can overcome these things through God's grace
1: right and also you know, it, it, it proves that this this chain of oppression or whatever, it can be broken. But that's up, to, that's up to you as an individual to, rather than passing on that bitterness and that hatred of whatever may or may not have happened to you or your ancestors, teach your kids that, look, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is faithful. And we don't, you know, we don't have to become statistics like Bodhi says in the book, we don't have to become statistics. Right. You know, we, we can better our lives just by working hard, putting our faith and trust in God. Now, these people, you know, these critical theorists, they'll say, no, you can't do that because the system is rigged against you. Yeah. But.
0: And Bodhi says in his book, you know, he grew up poor without a father, surrounded by drugs, gangs, violence, and dysfunction in one of the toughest urban urban environments imaginable. Yet through all of that, I didn't just survive; I thrived. Not because of government programs or white people doing the work of anti-racism. I thrived in large part because of God's grace, my mother protecting me, sacrificed for me, advocated for me and disciplined me. And again, I can totally relate to that. My parents weren't on any government programs, and I didn't have a quote unquote white person or white people doing the work of anti-racism in our lives. It was strictly the grace of God and my parents being parents.
1: Although now you're uh, you're married to a white man, so what did that what did that so, article say oh, today? Ethnic, yeah. ethnic colonizer. <laughs>
0: Yep. And if, if we go to page 36, we can talk about that because um, Bodhi, he talked about how...
1: <laughs> just like these people are so full of hatred. Oh, right.
0: In the beginning of his ministry, he primarily went to black churches, but he right. got convicted. And he's like, you know what? I am going to seek out a position in a church that has a broad spectrum of ethnicities. Um, because that's the way the church should be. Right. Um, And that's how it's going to be when we all see Jesus. And Revelations mm-hmm. talks about yeah, that. Yeah,
1: Revelation 7.
0: Revelation talks about that. But <clears throat> he talked about how he was at a conference and spoke at this conference. And then after the conference, he had a conversation with another black pastor who pretty much told him that he was robbing the black church by being a pastor or minister at this other church and how he was pretty much an idiot for leaving the black church because they feel robbed. Um, And that's so dumb. But I can relate to that.
1: Think about what a small view... I mean, okay, who who establishes the church? The Holy Spirit is, is the one building the church. Right. So if the Holy Spirit sovereignly has you know, preacher X come to, to pastor a white church, a black church, a Hispanic church, who cares? That's where that, that's where the Holy Spirit put him to minister.
0: Exactly. To
1: shepherd. And, you know, the same goes for people within the church. You know, the Holy Spirit is who draws people into the body and plugs them in. And this whole thing is just so that's such a small view of God's sovereignty.
0: Entirely small view. But the way in which I can relate to that is that, well, I'm married to Stephen. Stephen is not black, Stephen is white. No, I'm an a ethnic colonizer. He's, a, he's an ethnic colonizer according <laughs> to their worldview. Um, but I have had people tell me um, that I'm robbing black men because I'm married to a white man. And I have I've heard that more than once. And shame on you.
1: Yeah, that's evil.
0: It's Evil and
1: wicked. Yeah, not to mention the fact now you're talking this my wife and my children. So when I say that to me, right, <clears throat> I, I might end up in jail.
0: It's 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 a sad thing.
1: So let's talk about some scriptures. Let me go over some scriptures on on just how the church should be. Well, I'm going to go to Ephesians 4. Uh, this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm moving on to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Galatians 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, See that you put off your old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Here, there is not Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, uh, but Christ is all and in all. I mean, it's all throughout the New Testament. The church is supposed to be unified. Right. There's there's no room for this, this nonsense in truth. First Corinthians six, uh, verse 17, But whoever is united in the Lord is one with him in spirit. And again, we go back to Colossians 3, 1 and 3. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So these earthly philosophies, you know, Again, Paul mentions in uh, Colossians 2, 8, that we're not to be taken captive by these vain philosophies and maybe deceits. And, you know, talking about uh, where somebody is born, whether they grow up poor or rich, or whatever. Paul addresses that when he's arguing um, with the Greeks on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Uh, he said, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in the shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and in all things. For one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. And he, God, has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live.
0: That's so, so good.
1: So if you grow up poor, I'm sorry, that's horrible. But God sovereignly decreed that, for one purpose or another, in to glorify Him in one way or another. If you grew up, if you you know, if you uh, were born rich, that's not has nothing to do with you. God blessed your parents and placed them there with their finances. I mean, that's it's God's sovereign decree. We have no nothing to do with it. I mean, we could work to get out of that situation and pray that God blesses us. But there are more things on earth than, than financial blessings. You know, I mean, just uh, listen to the just thinking podcast. They just recently did an episode um, where they talked about some of the um, slave um, writings, writings of Christian slaves. And, you know, they talk about how some of these slaves, you always hear the, the bad stories about the slaves, but some of these slaves that were Christians, Loved their slave masters, loved them, worshiped with them. Well, we think that's insane. We're like, that, I don't see how anyone could do that. So, well, the Bible
0: even talks about slaves how they should work unto God and not necessarily for the slave, right? So,
1: and that doesn't make slavery right,
0: no, but no, just not you know, at all.
1: But not, not all accounts of slavery are the master feeding their slaves with whips. As awful as that was, there were some slaves who were Christians who had a sovereign view of God and who understood that, you know, the oppression they were born into was God's sovereign decree for one reason or another. And you know what they did with that? They worshiped God and they glorified him in all that they did, even in chains.
0: Even in chains. While we're on the topic of slavery, on page 37, Bodhi talks about um how he went to Africa and how he gained this new perspective on slavery. I was going to read a little bit about this because when people today talk about slaves, they don't realize this central component of how slaves were purchased. So, just briefly, um, he says, I, on page 37, I have also brought in my perspective on slavery. A visit to the slave tree in the Dola Zambia, hope I'm saying that right, poignantly reminded me that contrary to belief, white slavers did not come to Africa and track through the bush to find and capture slaves. They bought them, here it is right here. They bought them from other Africans who had already enslaved them.
1: Right, warring tribes.
0: Warring tribes. <clears throat> A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that key piece that right. the white men didn't go over to Africa and just steal, you know, Africans and made them their slaves. No,
1: right.
0: your own kinsmen.
1: And that you know that doesn't, sold
0: you into slavery.
1: That doesn't you know negate the responsibility of those white
0: no not people at from all. going
1: over there and purchasing them. Um, they're still just as wrong. But, you know, it's the stuff you hear in, in school and on PBS, you watch these documentaries and stuff. History is far richer than we give credit for.
0: Right.
1: Um, and, and humanity is far more depraved oh, yeah. than, than most of us are willing to give credit for. And, again, oh, yeah. that goes to the, some of these philosophies, you know. They, they go back to the Age of the Enlightenment and then all this other stuff will, you know. We have such a positive view of man. Man is born inherently good. No, we're not. No, we're born in our trespasses and sins. We are born wicked and depraved and evil. And it's only by God's grace that he restrains the evil in the world.
0: Right. There's one more thing I want to read here from the book. He goes on to say, It was sobering to realize that my ancestors, far from being kings and queens, were actually debtors, criminals, or conquered people who were sold to Westerners by their own kinsmen. And thank God, they sold them to Westerners and not the Arabs.
1: Wait, what? What was that? (laughs) Did he just thank God his ancestors were sold into slavery? Yes, and
0: sold to the Westerners and not to the Arabs because the Arab slave trade lasted more than 13 centuries and was far more brutal. Right. Few Africans sold to the Arabs even survived the journey.
1: And this off-topic, the Arab slave trade also kidnapped Europeans. So it wasn't just the Africans that were being kidnapped. Actually, uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, um, developed the Marine Corps specifically to go overseas and fight the Barbary pirates because they were kidnapping uh, American um, vessel you know, shipmasters and uh, what have you, and English as well.
0: Right. <clears throat> so, I mean, that just shows you God's sovereignty right there. Right. Because had Africans been so, sold to the Arabs, the chances are it would have wiped out.
1: Or they'd be Muslim. So they so would be, be Muslim. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a vast majority of the Africans that were brought to the United States under the horrific conditions of slavery were also taught the gospel. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of african-american believers in christ because god sovereignly decreed that their ancestors be sold into slavery brought to the new world where they would eventually gain their freedom yeah i mean i you know you always go back to joseph with his brothers what god meant for evil or what you meant for evil god meant for good
0: right you can't question God's sovereignty. I'm always amazed by it, quite honestly. Um,
1: incredible. And if you actually go back to Acts 17, there when I mentioned um, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. That, that term in Greek is ethnos, which is where we get our term ethnicity from. So where some people might say, oh, well, Paul's just talking about nationalities and nation states there. No, he's actually talking specifically about ethnicities.
0: Right. Let's move on to chapter three. I got to click through my page here.
1: Yeah, chapter three is titled Seeking True Justice. Yeah, I just, you know, I can't stress enough how if if your pastor is buying into this stuff, get him this book. Um, and there's other books out there, too, we can link to. One by Josh, uh, John Harris, and just came out of John Harris. They need to realize this stuff is antithetical to the gospel. And I don't see how any follower of Christ, uh, specifically any seminary pastors, could read through these scriptures that we just mentioned and be so obsessed with one's pigmentation or skin color, right? Um, rather than focusing on the true unity we have, which is Christ. You know, we're, when we come to Christ, we're a new creations. So we're supposed to die to ourselves mm-hmm. and live for Christ.
0: Right. So. In chapter three, uh, seeking true justices, one thing that I wanted to talk about was on page 44, where he talks about today people are writing and demanding justice before knowing the facts. No justice, no peace. <laughs> and in most cases, without even considering the aforementioned principles. And he goes on to say, here is the key. People are ignoring these principles because the standard of justice upon which their pleas are built does not come from the God of scriptures. And in Proverbs 18, 17, it says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So as Christians, we are held to a higher standard a different standard than the world and to see so many christians support these awful people like black lives matter and just this worldview in general is it's heartbreaking um because we are held to a higher standard and why why stamp your name on a movement right when you have no idea the origins behind it. Do you really know what you're supporting?
1: Yeah, we're not We're not supposed to be ruled by our emotions or our feelings. We're supposed to be rooted and grounded in Scripture. We're supposed to take our thoughts captive um, and, and hold on to the Word of Christ. You know.
0: Right. Anything you want to say about that?
1: Well, I know um, we mentioned Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19, which is, the, which is the list of the things that God hates. You know, he doesn't really go into it in the book specifically. He does mention a few of these, but um, I want to read through it. I want to tell you what I pulled up in a a public commentary about this uh, particular proverb, because it it, you'll see that all these things that God says he hates are um, pretty much exactly what critical theory pushes. Yeah. Uh, So there's Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. says, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, and a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. So on his face, like, well, how does that sound like uh, Black Lives Matter or any of these other anti-racist, type of groups that are out there <clears throat> well the pulpit commentary starting in uh, verse 17 says the enumeration begins with pride a prideful look literally a uh, haughty or lofty eyes it is not merely a look which is meant but the temper of mind which the look expresses so it's not just the look itself but it's what's going on in the head so it's a lofty look is the indication of the swelling pride which fills one's heart, the supreme disdain for everything and everybody. So, in other words, placing yourself and your own pride above everybody else. he right. says pride is put first because it is at the bottom of all disobedience and rebellion against God's laws. It is the very opposite of humility, which the apostle Paul says in Ephesians four two. Uh, he says it's the very basis as it were, of all the virtues, uh, being humility. So all pride is intended, and the face of the Lord is against pride. Uh, Second thing he mentions in the enumeration is the lying tongue. He says lying is hateful to God because he is the God of truth. In a concise form, the expression a lying tongue represents what has been already said in verses 12 and 13 of the wicked man Who walks with a froward mouth and whose conduct is made up of deceit. Lying is the willful perversion of truth, not only by speech, but by any means whatever whereby a false impression is conveyed in mind. The third thing he mentions is hands that shed innocent blood, i.e., a murderous or cruel disposition, which rather than have its plans frustrated will imbue the hands with innocent blood. The blood of those who have done no injury to another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He says, the divine command, thou shalt not murder, and those who break it will find, even if they escape man, that the Lord is the avenger of blood, and that he maketh inquisition for it. So this reminds me of uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus says that you've heard it in your uh, you've heard it said that. You um, shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother be liable for judgment. Angry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people out there screaming, No justice, no peace. They're screaming, Defund the police. Uh, they're talking about white privilege and white fragility. And um, was it, Dear God, help me hate white people? Oh. <laughs> it was a. A book from a quote unquote theologian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um so these people are saying openly, we we and whether they hate, you know, the way we would view it or not, it's it's a form of hatred, it's prejudice. And mm-hmm. prejudice is hatred. Yes. Uh or in first John three fifteen, where it says, Everybody who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abundant. hmm um, so that I mean I just it's kind of a sidetrack, but Go back to uh, this pulpit commentary. Verse 18, he says the fourth thing is uh, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Wicked imaginations are literally thoughts of iniquity. The thought is a repetition from verse 14. He said that there are evil thoughts in all men's hearts, but the devising, fabricating of them, and thus making the heart into a devil's workshop is the mark of an utterly depraved and wicked person and is abhorrent to God. He says this particular position which the heart occupies in the enumeration is to be accounted for on the ground that it is the foundation not only of those vices which have already been mentioned, but of those which are which to follow. Which brings us to number five, the fifth thing, the feet that are swift in running to mischief. He says again, here we are reminded of Isaiah 59 7, the feet that run to evil. To run to mischief is to carry out the alacrity and without delay what has already been devised in the heart. It implies more than just falling into sin or sliding into sin. It is a heart that runs towards the sin that is already um, imagined in the heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he says the sixth thing is perjury, a false witness that speaketh lies. He says, literally, he has breathed out or uttered lies as a false witness. The expression as a false witness, as it appears in the original, is exempl- uh, explanatory and indicates the particular aspect under which the speaking of lies is regarded. Lying, uh, lying in it is much more general sense, has already been spoken of in verse 17, but this vice, which is here noted, as odious to God is expressly forbidden within the moral code, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. He says, uh, much hurt, says Moffat, um, which is somebody who's quoted here. I have no idea who that is. but He says, much hurt doth the deceitful and lying witness, for he hath corrupted the judge, oppresseth the innocent, suppresseth the truth, and in the courts of justice sinneth against his own soul and the Lord himself most grievously. Perjury, too, destroys the security of communities. Truly speaking, he that lies as a false witness must be hateful to God. And then lastly, he says, seven, he that soweth discord among the brethren. The seventh and last thing in the enumeration holds all that is hated by God. It closes, as in verse 14, the series, but with an addition among the brethren. Thus, emphatically stigmatizing the conduct of that man as diabolical who destroys the harmony and unity of those who ought to live together in brotherly love affection and who, and who disturbs the peace of community.
0: That's a mouthful.
1: That is a mouthful. But
0: it is, it's got some important things there.
1: But if you re you know, rewind that and listen to it slowly, jot that down, uh, pull up, pull up the pulpit commentary and, and go to, um, uh, to Proverbs 6 there, because that's, that's precisely what critical theory is. That's what it was created to do. It pits people against each other. It balkanizes them. Um, it creates groups and factions. And it, it's created to facilitate revolution and bring about political change. And a lot of the ways they do that is by bearing false witness, by malicious intent, and um, I mean, it's just that whole that whole section there, just about every single one of those, including the hands that shed innocent blood, by the way.
0: Yeah.
1: Because bearing false witness could lead to somebody going to prison or even being executed by a, a false testimony. And of course, if you go to Black Lives Matter's website, they are all about the abortion industry. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> critical social justice, except when it comes to the unborn. Right. Yeah.
0: And I want to mention that Cody talks about his, one of his main goals of this chapter, but primarily the book, was to help the reader see that this worldview stands in direct contradiction to the biblical worldview. Right. And when I read that, you know, I just couldn't help but to think how important it is to learn apologetics, but not only learn it, teach it to your children so that you can refute ideologies such as this. And it's, it's important to your walk into the gospel to help preserve the church um, that we are able to boldly refute these type of things. So there's a book um, that will help you teach apologetics to your children, uh, Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, again, we'll link to that. But it's, it's just so important.
1: <clears throat> and throughout the book he does go into specific cases I guess you could call them hot hot topics or hot bread, um hotbed issues. Uh he like for instance he goes through a whole a whole chapter of just statistics talking about the lies of um you know the the uh police oppression, right um, the the lie about cops just out there hunting down young black men and he, he goes through all the statistics and everything and just shows that this is just this is not factually true. And, you know, again, like, like Kimberly said, it says in, in Proverbs that one, one person seems right until the other comes along and cross-examines. Yeah. <clears throat> that once you actually start looking at the, at the, the facts of the case, um, these cases fall apart. Again, that doesn't mean that there's not some forms of racial violence out there Uh, Or some examples of police brutality and stuff. Obviously, there is that. You know, you live in a fallen, sinful world. And in every every career choice, you're going to have wicked people. Right. Um, But you you can't demonize a whole people group just because you have some bad apples. It's just not right. But uh, he does mention, for instance, the, um, the Colin Kaepernick thing, which I, um, while I disagree with his reasoning behind it, I would not stand for the anthem right now either. Um, it has nothing to do with critical social justice or anything like that. but I just don't see, um, you're probably going to get a lot of hate in there for this. I don't see how I could stand up and say, God bless America, while we have a genocide of unborn babies being slaughtered in the womb. And our tax dollars are paying for it. And while we might vote for politicians who say they won't continue to do so, they uh, they do. We have a pro life movement who is against the abolition of abortion. They would rather see it And I, I just I can't, you know, I can't in good conscience say that gosh bless America when I think America actually in the government. Yeah, that's not a dream of a year. I just talk about that in a future. podcast. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the new thing we All know what the fade out means it means that we went long in this episode but that's all right y'all just finished episode one we hope you'll be looking forward to episode two dropping next week there's quite a bit to unpack in dr Bodhi balcom's fall lines until then may god richly bless you through our lord jesus christ by the power of his holy spirit and in all that you do do for the glory of god forever amen